I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. I received this email from a man named Johnny Lozano, and I want to share it with you all today. He writes, I rarely reach out to nerd out on companies, but your ready-to-eat chilies and stews have been a lifesaver. My wife and I were already vegan, and I tend to cook most of our meals from scratch, but we just had our first child in January, which has made that impossible most nights. Further, my work has exploded this year with a 70 to 80 hour work week now being typical. And then to top it off, we've had to cut out soy and gluten because of our daughter's allergies. Your chilies and stews have saved us from having to resort to highly artificial, sodium-laden frozen meals. So, thank you for making something that helps us stay on track with a busy schedule, a new infant, and allergies notwithstanding. Johnny Lozano. First off, huge congratulations, Johnny, on becoming a parent. It is a challenge in its own right, and I hope that you and your wife are enjoying every little milestone with your little one. It goes by so incredibly fast, so hang on. And Congratulations on choosing the Plant Strong Path. What a foundation you are setting up for your little one. I am thrilled that our meal solutions are helping to make it simple and easy for your family to stay on track. I want you all to know that we have more ready-to-eat chilies and stews in the pipeline, and I invite you and everyone to view our growing assortment at plantstrongfoods.com. If you have feedback or want to share how the Plant Strong Food Line is helping you reach your goals, I would love to hear from you. Send us an email to hello at plantstrong.com. So we have six official pillars of lifestyle medicine from the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. The first is nutrition, and we do advocate for a plant strong, as you like to call it, plant slant way of eating. 
really advocating for whole food plant-based. It's evidence-based as the, the best diet pattern to prevent and possibly reverse chronic diseases. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plant Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Hello, my Plant Strong brothers and sisters. My guest today is Dr. Melissa Sunderman, an internal medicine physician in Ann Arbor, Michigan, who is also recently board certified in lifestyle medicine. After practicing medicine for several years and raising two children who were officially headed off to college, Melissa decided that it was time to get back to herself and expand her own knowledge and scope of practice. While she absolutely loves being a doctor, she didn't love the revolving door aspect of the system, the quick appointments, multiple patients, prescription-based treatment, etc. It just wasn't fulfilling. So Melissa did what we all do when we're searching for an answer. She went to Mr. Google and started searching different types of medicine and came across lifestyle medicine. Very peculiar. She knew instantly that she had found her calling, which is helping people treat and prevent diseases through the six pillars of lifestyle medicine. They are movement, restorative sleep, stress management, avoidance of risky behaviors, positive social connections, and of course, a whole food plant predominant diet. Today, in our conversation, she shares some of the advice and resources that she gives her patients who come in for lifestyle consultations and the impressive impact she is able to make in her patients' lives. We also talk in depth about the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet and the pillars of lifestyle medicine specifically for women in perimenopause and menopause and how she puts these pillars into practice in her own life. Dr. Sunderman is a bright light for the future of medicine, and I am thrilled for you to meet her. Please welcome Dr. Melissa Sunderman. Sunderman, that's a fun last name. Sunderman. Yeah, it gets, it gets confused with Thunderman and yeah, a lot of different um, uh, ways to pronounce it, apparently. Yeah, but welcome. So tell me, where are you located right now? So I am located in Ann Arbor, Michigan, I'm home of University of Michigan, um, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And yeah, I've been there since I went to undergrad there and went to medical school at Michigan State. Uh, so I was gone for a couple of years to East Lansing area, but settled back down in Ann Arbor. That's where my husband is from. He's a true townie. And um, and then we raised our kids here. And now we've got a daughter, a junior at University of Michigan and a son who's a senior at Michigan State. So wow. big 10 sports and we're a house divided. Go blue. Go blue, for sure. So when you say you're a house divided, what exactly does that mean? In, in, what, in, what, in what way? <laughs> 
Well, I guess a couple. So that's a big thing in Michigan when you've got the rivalry of uh, Michigan yeah. State and University of Michigan. So my daughter is actually an athlete at the University of Michigan. She is uh, the women's swim and dive team. She's a diver. I know you were a swimmer. And then um, my son at Michigan State. So, you know, and of course, you're wherever you go to undergrad, you cheer for. So I'm, I'm still a Wolverine. But uh, I, I do support my son, too. And I went to medical school there. So I do have some green blood in me. And uh, I guess the other way we're divided is um, three-fourths of our family are plant-based, including our athlete daughter, um, and then our son, we're slowly transitioning that way. So we're not a house divided, we're a house transitioning. Yes, yes, that's a good way of putting it. Um, well, my brother and my sister both went to University of Michigan okay, and, great. and swam there, so I got I got the opportunity to go visit University of Michigan, and it's a it's a great place, great school. Yeah, Ann Arbor is a fun town. It is. We love it. It really is. So you went to medical school there. Why did you decide to get into medicine? So that is um, a good question because I didn't come from anyone in my family who was in medicine. I mean, not, we're talking like not even a nurse. So it is something that I just got interested in when I was little. I just remember visiting a relative at a hospital, probably I was like seven or eight years old and just having this curiosity, this curiosity of what was going on at this hospital. And I, I just wanted to explore and I wasn't scared of it. I just wanted to learn more and Hmm. was just really fascinated by it and medicine and and helping people and healing people and being around uh, just the medical world. So that started at a very early age. And again, I didn't have any mentors um, to, to ask, you know, family members about their experience and just sort of did research on my own. And during high school, you know, volunteered at a hospital and, um, and just sort of had this calling, I'd say, of, I want to be a doctor. Like, I just want to be a doctor. And I, of course, you know, it's an arduous process um, to get there. And, yeah. you know, I went to University of Michigan um, undergraduate and it was pre-med and Um, I also did research at that time. So I worked in a lab doing research all during undergrad just to get money and and quite frankly, get money and then get some experience. And I actually took two years off in between undergrad and medical school because I thought, well, I've been working at this lab. I'm going to work for them full time, see what that's about. Um, And I really found out that I'm a people person and I just wanted to interact with people rather than, and, and we need research and we need great researchers. But for me, I needed that connection. So I applied to medical school and the first time I didn't get in, uh, I, and, but yet I was like, this is my calling. I'm not giving up on this dream. So I worked my butt off, um, made, retook the MCATs, um, just went in an interview to, you know, everywhere that I could get into and just conveyed to them, like, this is my dream. And I know I'm going to be a good doctor. So (laughs) please consider me for admission. And, and I got into Michigan State, which was a perfect school for me. They really are focused on um, primary care, which is I'm an internal medicine specialist, um, also lifestyle medicine now, but really the, the roots of, of my training of our primary care. So I wasn't about to say no to a dream. And yeah. sometimes that's what you have to do is just say, I really want this and it's worth fighting for. Oh, yeah. I mean, I find typically when you don't get what you want the first time, it really makes you kind of, well, reevaluate it, but then also decide, no, I really, really want this. And then Mm -hmm. when you get it, it's that much more satisfying and it means that much more to you. Right. And like I said, I didn't have family members who were in medicine. So it's not like I had this 
you know, recommendation or these alumni that could help me. Like I did it all on my own. Right. And that yeah. feels really good in life when you do things like we all like to network. Right. And that, that helps us. But when you do it on your own, it feels that much more rewarding. Yeah. Okay. So you went into medical school, you came out in internal medicine for people that have no idea. So what are some of the things that an internal medicine doc does? So basically, I'm a primary care physician. So when you get your insurance card, they say select a PCP. So your PCP is usually going to be a family medicine doctor or an internal medicine doctor. And then for females, an OBGYN, for kids, a pediatrician. And I really chose internal medicine because I liked everything in medicine. I liked cardiology and I liked pulmonary and endocrinology and, um, you know, all the specialties I thought were interesting and wanted to learn more. And the beauty of being internal medicine and as a primary care doctor, I get to treat all of those. Mm. Now, not to the degree that a subspecialist would, but I get to manage blood pressure and cholesterol and diabetes. Um, and in primary care, we develop long-term relationships, right? And so in a lot of times I will get the husband and wife and I'll get their adult children or I'll get their grandparents. So you really develop these, these long-term relationships and so much of primary care is really listening to your patients, listening to their story, getting to know their story. And that's where, you know, lifestyle medicine has been such a compliment, not even a compliment. It is the core of, of my, um, my career now is that we need to really on a fundamental level, get to know our patients and know how to educate and empower them and, and believe in them. And so primary care allows me that opportunity to do that every day. Yeah. So I want to know a couple things. Let me start by asking you this. So where do you work? What kind of hospital system are, are you working in right now? Mm -hmm. So I am part of IHA, uh, which is based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We are a multi-specialty group. We're very large. We have um, uh, over 900 providers. And we run every single specialty you can think of from primary care to surgeons to specialists. Uh, and we're located throughout Southeast Michigan. So I'm in an office with uh, four other internists, and then we have uh, our medical staff. Uh, so we've got satellite clinics all over the place. Uh, so I'm part of a large organization, which, which works for me because we've got really uh, great leadership. Um, yep. We have recently launched our IHA Lifestyle Medicine Institute, which is super mm -hmm. exciting. And within those nine, 900 providers, five of us are certified in, um, board certified in lifestyle medicine. So that's, it's been a very exciting time for the growth in lifestyle medicine uh, within our uh, IHA. And, and we have strong support from leadership, which is, is wonderful. Oh, that's really fantastic to hear. Um, you're practicing medicine. You're seeing yes. all these patients. You're, I'm, I'm sure you were seeing all kinds of chronic Western disease, like you mentioned, hypertension, high cholesterol, probably, you know, pre-diabetes, type 2 diabetes. Yeah. So at what point did you decide that, okay, what I'm working with right now in my toolbox, mm -hmm. not really making a dent. Yeah. And what, like, so what was your eye-opening moment where you're like, wow, yeah. I, I got to try something else? So I think a part of me has felt like that since the get-go. So I was, I'm a DO. So I, they're at Michigan State, they're an MD program and a DO program. We yep. take all of our core sciences together, right? So, but then we're also trained in something called osteopathic manipulative uh, OMT, uh, which really looks at the body as interconnected, right? And so I always have thought of the body as a system and that 
wellness was more than just pills. And so, you know, I did um, integrative medicine training at the University of Michigan, which really opened my eyes to all of these complementary and alternative ways of healing. And I went from then to do a professional training in mind-body medicine with James Gordon's program, Center for Mind-Body Medicine, being based out of Washington, D.C., again, saying, wow, this is not what I was taught in medical school. And, and I just, I have, was working in conventional medical practices, but I had this additional training and, and I'm going to say insight. Um, and it's like, how do I, I have this deep belief system that there's something else out there. There's something that's keeping me healthy and it's not pills, right? It's, it's how the foods that I eat and how I move my body and how I sleep and how I manage stress and that I get outdoors every day. So, you know, I'm, I'm plugging away in a conventional medical system and always feeling like an outlier per se, because I just approached wellness differently sometimes. Yeah. And so about 2018, my kids were um, heading off to college. I was becoming an empty nester. And for many years, it was balancing family life with professional life. And my kids were super involved in their sports. My daughter, like I said, she's a diver. My son was a, a very high level soccer player. So every weekend I was traveling around the country with them, right? Staying in Hampton hotels. So I really felt like, okay, I, I love being a doctor, but right now is not the time for me to be completely selfish in my career. So 2018 comes around and I'm like, I'm about to become an empty nester. Like this is my time. So I went to the computer and I went to Google because that's what we all do when we just, you know, need professional yeah. insight, um, counseling, health coaching, and started combining words of things that I love. So it was wilderness medicine. It was wellness medicine. It was nature medicine. And then up popped lifestyle medicine. And this is about 2018. And I'm like, well, what's lifestyle medicine? It brought me to the American College of Lifestyle Medicine homepage and I read their pillars and it felt like my Galileo moment of yes. coming home, right? It was like, wait a minute, this is what I've been doing for the past 20 years of my career. But now I have a, a body of medicine that actually believes in this and not only believes in it, but has the evidence and research to back it up. And for me, it was this aha coming home, like, this is my place. These are my people. Like, this is my true calling. And I've been preparing for it this whole time. Yeah. And now, now I'm here, you know, and, um, and I, you know, signed up for the, the board certification and the training and my modules. And I've been nonstop, you know, with passion ever since then. I mean, that's really fantastic. And the fact that where you're working now, IHA, mm -hmm. you said you have the support of leadership, which is, Fantastic. And then you said that there's five of you that, basically, of that mm -hmm. have started this kind of lifestyle medicine Institute. Is that fair to say? Right, right. We're the ones who um, provide, we've started a consult service. So just before I got on with you, I was doing a lifestyle medicine consult. So patients that have chronic diseases, such as blood, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, type two diabetes, coronary artery disease, obesity, they, uh, other practitioners, and then I can self-refer to myself, you know, I see a patient for the first visit. I'm like, come see me for a lifestyle medicine consult. And so we take a really deep dive into the six pillars and um, provide, you know, with a little bit longer time with the patient, you know, in primary care, we're so rushed and it's like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And as you know, lifestyle medicine, it, it, there's so much education um, and getting to know yeah. our patients 
that it takes longer than that. So our consults afford us more time with our patients to get to know them, to provide resources, uh, to do the counseling that's really needed. So that's been really exciting, you know, and um, to be on the forefront of this movement, I feel like as you know, you and your family, you guys have been in this, this, uh, this world for much longer than many of us have, but to see the explosion that's been happening um, within lifestyle medicine is just so exciting. And I still feel like I'm on the cusp of the beginning of it. And, um, and because of that, everyone is just so friendly. All of the lifestyle medicine physicians, professionals uh, that I have met have been so warm and, you know, always want to help. And we're collegial because we feel like, we found something and yeah. we want to share it with the world. So, you know, I've done a lot of different sports in my life, you know, from tennis to swimming to mountain biking to triathlons. And I find that each sport, a different type of personality gravitates totally. to different sports. And so I think that's the really cool thing about lifestyle medicine is it, it takes a special personality. And I think that somebody that's open-minded and willing to like look outside the proverbial, you know, box and go, wow, I mean, there's, there's something really significant here that can get to the root causation of all these issues. And actually, frankly, it's surprising to me that so many people that go into medicine just because of all the research, all the data and everything that's, that's in abundance right now, that they, I mean, yes, you are part of the first wave. It is phenomenal. I don't want to take anything away from that. I'm just surprised that this isn't a tsunami. Right. And that's where we, we need to shift the training, right? So I didn't learn any of this in medical school. Yeah. You know, it's all about how we manage diseases. It's not about preventing diseases. It's about once you have a disease process, this is how you'll go and treat it. And nutrition, I mean, throw that out the window, right? And, and the average amount of time that medical school students, when I graduated in 1998, and even today, it's like 17 hours. And that's medical school and residency. And guess what? That's not practical nutrition. That's yeah. let's memorize protein deficiency in the form of Kashi Walker that you'll never see in clinical practice unless you maybe work in Africa. But or let's talk about rickets. I mean, I've never I've been practicing for almost a quarter of a century. I've never seen that. Or memorize the Krebs cycle, this biochemistry pathway, because that's yeah. nutrition. Or, you know, or let's learn about tube feedings in someone in the ICU. So I thought I knew a lot about nutrition because I'm an endurance athlete also, you know, Ironmans and marathons and, you know, long mountain bike races. So I thought, Hey, I'm an athlete. I'm going to fuel myself. And of course, what my nutrition training, quite frankly, was runner's world magazine and um, magazines and, and what I heard on the radio and or read a news clip. Um, so I was convinced that chocolate milk was the best way to refuel my body yeah. after I you know, work at hard workout. And before every race, I had to have protein, but that had to be animal protein, but it was lean protein, right? It was yeah. chicken or pork, because that's the other white meat. Um, so just a lot of these myths that I just believed. And it wasn't that I just didn't know, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Well, that's a good, no, that's a good point. I mean, I, yes, I will say that we need to get upstream right mm-hmm. to the medical schools get mm-hmm. this so it is a substantial part of the education and uh and then we'll have probably more of that tsunami right and what we're trying to do um within our group and like i said we're very large we're 900 
providers across all the specialties. So we've actually launched a lifestyle medicine interest group. So once a month, and you know, this is where COVID has been great is that we're all virtual for these meetings. So we have a, a Zoom meeting um, once a month and we invite lifestyle medicine practitioners from all over the world to speak on different topics. Mm. And usually we try to follow one of the pillars and we invite all of our 900 providers to and staff. We also include staff to jump in for these meetings and disseminate this information because a lot of physicians don't know this. A lot of our providers and our physician extenders, because I didn't know it either. And, you know, when I studied for my lifestyle medicine board exam, quite frankly, that nutrition module just blew me away, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and that between that and how not to die with Dr. Michael Greger, I was like, oh my God, you know, the blinders are off and I, I can't go back. Yeah. Yeah. So how hard is that lifestyle medicine, you know, certification exam? The exam actually rip was really hard. <laughs> I mean, you know, part of me, I, I, you have to go through modules to prepare yourself and you have to do a certain amount of CME um, ahead of time and, you know, 30 hours online and then 10 hours live and, and read case studies and write up a case study yourself. So I, I did the preparation and it was, you know, everything I was really interested in. So I wanted to do the preparation and the exam itself kicked my butt, but it wasn't just me. <laughs> we basically all walked out of there. And I, I called my husband because we took the exam in, in Orlando, Florida in 2015. Yeah. And I said, I am really confident. I got 15 questions out of 200, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and a part of me was like, well, this should be just like, I should just know these answers. Like, and it was a tough exam. And I think they do that on purpose for like, yeah, this is no joke. And lifestyle medicine is just not intuitive or like, well, duh. Yeah. Don't eat McDonald's, you know, (laughs) and uh, Cinnabons every day. But so it was good that, you know, and we all passed all five of us passed the exam. Uh, But it, it really was a tough exam. You do not, you've got to take And when people ask me, like I'm studying, what should I expect? I'm like, it's going to kick your butt. Yeah. So a couple of times you've mentioned the pillars of lifestyle medicine. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the pillars, but I'd love yeah. it if you could just give our listeners kind sure. of an overview of, of what the pillars are. Sure. So we have six official pillars of lifestyle medicine from the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. The first is nutrition, and we do advocate for a plant strong, <laughs> as yeah. you like to call it, plant slant way of eating, really advocating for whole food plant-based. It's evidence-based as the, the best diet pattern to prevent and possibly reverse chronic diseases. Uh, so some of my patients, when I'm counseling with them, I don't like to work, use the term vegan because I think that comes across some, some political connotations and, you know, oh, you know, I, it just is a little polarizing, a little polarizing. Yes. So if you say whole food plant-based or plant, I actually like plant strong because it, it just means moving in that direction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we do advocate for that. Um, the second pillar is, is I like to call it movement rather than exercise. Again, exercise for some people seems like a chore and something they don't want to do. So when you reframe it as moving our bodies, and that can be taking a walk to go look at birds, that can be dancing with your kids in your living room, that can be roller skating, that can be hula hooping, that can be mountain biking, running, you know, so whatever you like to do, we need to move our bodies. I like movement uh-huh. uh, as opposed to exercise, just like I like Plant slant, plant strong, as opposed to vegan. I think that's, absolutely, that's I totally agree. And then I always bring up the blue zones, right? And so when you look at the blue zones, movement is one of their nine pillars. They're not going to you know Planet Fitness, right? <laughs> they're not going to the gym. They're no. gardening. They're walking to go see their their friends and interacting. So it's it's movement. It's not a yeah. gym and lifting barbells. But if no, you like that, 
That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're using the planet for their fitness. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, and so third would be sleep. And, you know, I think that for, for a long time, you know, busy, it's the busyness culture and like, oh, I, I cram so much into a day, like sleep, that's just an afterthought, you know, and that quote, like I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, guess what? Research shows that's not good. That's not yeah. good. And so much sleep is just not like what you do at the end of your productive day. Sleep is what you do to restore and heal yourself. And we're getting more and more research just about the, the the power and the importance of sleep and that it has to be like, you have to be intentional about this. As much as you make plans for exercise or my meal plan, you need to make plans for sleeping. And, you know, we could go further into, you know, kind of those hygienes, but knowing that healing processes happen and the glymphatic system that we're learning about that cleanses our brain and gets rid of amyloid protein as we sleep. And, you know, if you mention the word dementia, no one wants that. So if you say, uh, if you get restorative sleep and the glymphatic is just, you know, cleansing this, people are like, oh, okay, I'll do it. And so we really do advocate for at least seven hours of, of restorative sleep per night. Well, like I asked you before we popped on here officially, what time you got to sleep last night? And you said mm-hmm. 10 and you woke up, like, was it five or five 30, mm-hmm. five, five o'clock? Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's working backwards. It's like my patients started at 8am this morning. I go for a run before work. So that means I start my run at this time. That means I go to sleep at this time. So it is, it's just like when I pack my lunch the night before, it's very intentional that I do the processes, you know, the night before to make, I'm preparing myself for success the next day. And there's things that you don't really like. Like I don't like packing my lunch the night before. It's a pain in my butt. Yeah, yeah, have to yeah. do it. But, um, but that ensures that all I have to do in the morning is grab my lunch bag that has healthy choices in it. So I make the healthy choice, the easy choice. Yeah. And then I'm not starving during my workday and then snacking on what someone's brought into my office. Right. Um, and it's the same thing about sleep. Like some days I'm like, oh man, I just want to watch another Netflix episode. We're watching <laughs> no. Ted Lasso right now. I'm like, just one more episode. But I'm like, no, yeah. no, yeah. it will. The Netflix will be there tomorrow. <laughs> not going away. I'm going to bed. And I think that it's really being disciplined about that. And it's not like it's hard. It's not that, well, maybe it is hard. I mean, but we're just are developing routines that we know will serve ourselves. And just being real with my patients, like this isn't any easier for me. Like it's not any easier for me to do this than it is you, but you just have to know that this is going to benefit you. I was a firefighter for 12 years. I was up, you know, probably 24 hours a day for every other Every 72 hours, up 24 hours for almost, you know, 12 years. Just the, the damage that did to my brain. Well, right. And similar with residency. And then actually during COVID, because yeah. I've done, I've been practicing for 23 years. So I've had several different jobs. And one of them is I've been a hospitalist. So that means you're just taking care of acutely ill patients. Well, I got redeployed to the hospital during COVID for eight months. Uh, so, and I'm 51. So working midnight shifts at 51 is way different than being a resident at age 22. <laughs> so I typically worked like I did everything from like the 10 P to like four H or no, it was like, I can't remember. It was a 10 hour shift, but yeah. some of them didn't end until four in the morning. And oh my God, like it just, it was really difficult. And um, I did it because there was a need and a calling and I, you know, was going to step up into the front line to do it. Um, but it really shook up so many of, of my habits and how do you even eat when you're working all night and your meal times and my exercise times. Yep. So 
I did it because um, I was asked to step up to the plate and, and I'm glad I could contribute and, and be of service, but that's not, that's not good for, for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could talk about sleep for a long time. So what's, yeah. what's the All next right. So, pillar? sorry. Yes. <laughs> I was supposed to be brief about these pillars. Um, no, no, it was my yeah. fault. I was, I'm diving in here too. Yeah. Yeah. No, great. Fourth would be um, avoidance of risky behaviors. So tobacco, you know, more, most importantly, and I, I, you know, I, there's still lots of people that smoke. I mean, our, our, our rates of, of tobacco have definitely gone down, but yeah. the community that I practice in, there's still a large amount of smoking. And so really people, people know, they know what causes lung cancer. So you're not treating, you're not educating them that this could is bad for you. So it's just, again, finding like ways to quit. And then, you know, alcohol, again, that's, you know, a tough one because it's socially acceptable. It's part of a lot of cultures, but we know it's a, a class one carcinogen. So educating about, you know, for, men, you know, maximum two drinks, women, just one and, and ideally none. Um, right. So, um, and then, um, drug use and, you know, I know that marijuana is legal now. And so there's, you know, it, it, people have different thoughts about that. Um, but in general, we just like to avoid risky substances. Um, the fifth pillar is the role of stress management and we all have stress in our life. I mean, everyone does. Um, some people stress at any given time is, is more than others. Um, but our brains and our cortisol levels, they stress reacts. They don't know, our brains don't know the difference between a bear about to attack us and me in the middle of the night freaking out that my teenager is out in the road right now and it's going to, you know, get in a car accident. Like yeah. they'll fire up all of those neurotransmitters and those stress signals. And so really learning um, ways to manage our stress. Um, and, you know, in my office, I will even go through deep breathing exercises with my patients. Mm. And so I'll teach them the square breathing method um, where you're like inhaling, you draw imaginary square, inhaling, going up, holding your breath, exhale, coming down, holding it. And I have them do it with me. And I, you know, I teach them, I'm like, your breath is always with you. So if you are feeling stressed, you could be in your car, you know, stuck at an like accident, you could be, you know, just... Yeah. whatever life situation it is, your breath is always with you. So I like the square. I, li I like that. Square. Yeah. And how many seconds do you try and do each one? Is it well, you know, I don't even think about seconds. You're just drawing a square slowly. So you're not even counting seconds. You're just drawing an imaginary square, or you can even use your finger if you want. So it's inhale, going up, holding the breath. Mm. And then for, for others, it's in the five finger breathing. So you can just trace your fingers, you know, so inhale, exhale, inhale. So just giving that technique as a tool that the patient can walk out of my office with. Uh -huh. And that's a great way. And then of course, you know, because I did training in mind body medicine and really learned about different mindfulness techniques uh, and meditation doesn't have to be sitting like a pretzel on a ground saying mantras, right? There's, there's many forms of, of mindfulness and John Kabat-Zinn has such wonderful books, you know, explaining that. So I will point to his books um, and, and just finding ways to manage our stress. Um, and then the, the sixth pillar, the sixth official pillar um, would be the role of social connection. And mm. wow, has that been a challenge during our pandemic that yeah. we were forced to not connect. <laughs> it was frowned on to connect. And I think we all felt that loss, right? And we did come up with Zoom and that helped to, you know, keep in touch, but that's different than hugging someone. And, you know, even in my office yesterday, I saw a patient I haven't seen forever. 
And, you know, we, we're all masked and, and we have to be vaccinated to be in our clinics. So I went to give her a hug. I haven't given her a hug. My medical assistant was like, I don't, I didn't think she was going to let go Dr. Sunderman. Cause she just, she was just hugging me and hugging me and hugging me. And, um, and I think that we've all just been craving that connection. And, you know, when you, again, I'm going to point back to the blue zones when Dan Butner did all this research and one of the power nine is, is that social connection and that need for you, for your tribe. And that we all need our tribe, whether it's our family, whether it's friends, whether you belong in this the special interest club or you belong to a, a church or a place of worship. So we all need our, our people. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks for that review of the pillars. Uh, oh, that's, but Rick, so we, I, yeah. I want to add on. I have one seventh unofficial pillar that yeah. I feel very strongly about, and that is fresh air and exposure to nature every single day. <laughs> Every single day, you need to get outside and get fresh air. And I live in Michigan. We get four seasons. Um, so my quote to my patients is, there's no bad weather, just inappropriate clothing. That's so right. bundle up. You know, I run outside all year round. It doesn't matter because I've got the equipment. You know, I got my hand warmers. I got my balaclava. I got my headlamp. Get outside, get fresh air. So that's my seventh pillar. <laughs> nice, nice, nice addition. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um before I went on today, I was talking to a member of the Plant Strong team. Yeah. Uh, she's about 48, 49 years old, and she knew I was going to be talking to you today. And she yeah. wanted me to ask you specifically about perimenopause and menopause. And yeah. as someone who's 51, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? You know, as a, as a male that, you know, doesn't go through that, like, yeah. what exactly, what do you, what do you feel like if you, mm -hmm. if you know yeah, and yeah. and uh, what can women listeners that are out there, is there anything that by embracing this lifestyle medicine type yeah. lifestyle, it will help them get through this? Absolutely. And you are exactly right. I'm 51. I'm in the, the thick of it. And all of my close friends, um, we're all going through this together. And I think for a long time, perimenopause and menopause, we didn't talk about it much, you know? And so it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You're going to stop having periods. Maybe you'll sweat, you'll have a little hot flash. And it is so much more than that. I mean, I have patients coming to see me with symptoms ranging from heart palpitations to, of course, the night sweats, body aches, weight gain, mood fluctuations. And for a long time, people are like, ah, you know, you're just depressed because whatever, your kids went off to college or you're gaining weight because you're just not as active. And really with these hormonal changes, the symptomology is vast. Uh, and it can be really frustrating. And even though it's a normal thing, we all go to like as females, we all get our period as females, we're all going to stop having periods. So it's important to legitimize that these are real symptoms you're having and not poo poo it off. Like, Oh, it's just in your head. Like th these are real and it, it's scary and it's frustrating. Um, and you know, a lot of times you're not expecting this to happen. So I really feel that the, the pillars that we have, maybe won't prevent all of the changes from happening. I mean, we're not going to change hormone levels, but the, the symptoms can really help. And a whole food plant-based diet is huge in that with our estrogen levels. Um, you know, Neil Barnard and his PCRM group just came out with their uh, WAVE study, the mm. Women's Alleviation of Vasomotor Symptoms, which was awesome results. So they looked at hot flashes basically. And they asked their um, experimental group to go on a low fat, whole food, plant-based diet and one half cup of soybeans. They give them an Instapot, one half cup of soybeans 
every day. And at the end of their study, which I think for, what, for how long study, was it? For I think it was 12, 12 weeks. Uh -huh. They had an 84% reduction in hot flashes, uh. which I mean, that is a huge number, huge. And for women who have debilitating hot flashes, it's not like, oh, I'm just like feeling a little warm. It will wake people up at night and drench, you know, and you'll have to change your clothes and your sheets. You know, you're at like work and all of a sudden you're like, you know, embarrassed because you're just sweating. So 84% reduction. Um, and really we're learning even more about, we're familiar with the gut microbiome and you know, that's a whole yeah. other conversation. Um, but we're, we're also learning about that astrobolome, which basically is the fiber and the health of the gut microbiome is also so key in hormonal regulation. But we can really stabilize those fluctuation of levels by keeping our gut microbiome healthy. And that's, as we know, the only way to fuel and nurture our gut microbiome is fiber in the diet. And that's yeah. fibers only found in fruits, vegetable, beans, legumes, and whole grains. So I think that really getting my patients to adopt a whole food, plant-based diet, high in soy, soybeans, um, you can do tofu, tempeh, um, edamame is really key with that. And when you say high in soy, what's your definition of high? Is it, is it a half a cup a day, a cup a day? What? Well, his experiment was half a cup a day. So yeah. I think at, at minimum, you want to do half a cup a day. And of course, there's always the, I had a patient um, in yesterday, uh, menopausal, but a history of, of breast cancer as well. And so I was talking to her about, she has debilitating uh, hot flashes and doesn't want to go on hormones. So I told her about the study and she said, oh, Dr. Sunderman, remember I have a history of breast cancer. And I said, oh, that is a myth. And she said, my oncologist told me I can never have soy. So it's a pervasive myth out there, right? And we, what we know is with soy is there's a 30% reduction in breast cancer. And for those women like my patient, who had breast cancer is a 30% reduction in recurrence. So, and then for men, it's 30% reduction in prostate. So emphasizing soy in the diet and that soy is beneficial and it's healthy for our bones. Cause that's another thing with menopause is our bones are getting weaker. Like we're not building any more bone. We're just trying to prevent loss of bone and the uh, receptors that the soy will target on the bones can actually help with bone preservation. We're, we're fans of soy, but we're not fans of isolated soy proteins or concentrates. That's right. Yes. So we want the organic soy in the whole food form, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I absolutely thank you for clarifying that. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, so, and then, so that's nutrition pillar. I'm just going to keep advocating for, you know, fiber in the diet, pushing that fiber up to 40, 50 grams per day. And, you know, what I've told patients is that everyone is still freaking out about protein, right? Because protein has glorified health food. And if yeah. you slap it on a label, we think it's healthy. You know, I joke like pop tarts could have a pro contains protein on them. And people think that's healthy. It's got protein oh, yeah. in it. Right. So I said, you know, in quarter of a century of practicing, I have yet to see a protein deficient patient, but about 95% of my patients are fiber deficient. So let's talk yes. about the fiber <laughs> that should be the glorified, um, you know, nutrient, um, not a macronutrient, but a nutrient in our diet. So I think that's really important with perimenopause and menopause is getting that shift to a plant strong way of eating. Um, I think daily movement um, is really important because not only ex movement exercise, but what all the other good vibes we get with it. We know it's good for our mental state. It's from, you know, a lot of people, including myself, it's an act of meditation. 
a lot of times with my exercise in the mornings before work, um, it's just me or me and my husband, but on the weekends it's with, with my tribe, right? So it becomes this social dynamic too, and, and a community that I've been able to connect with. So I think that's important is, is to keep moving our bodies. We talked about the emphasis of sleep, um, and that, you know, sleep with, you know, <laughs> helping us to not age and cleansing our brains of all those toxins, um, stress is managing our stress. And we know that um, Elizabeth Blackburn did her Nobel, priest, uh, her Nobel Prize with telomeres that shorten and telomeres yes. on the end of chromosomes. And, and with chronic stress, that actually will shorten the telomere, which, mm. you know, is about like longevity. So if not good for us to be stressed and worried all the time. So really, you know, actively working to manage our stress in our life. So those are some actionable items, take home items um, that I work with my, my perimenopause and menopause. And I think it helps to say like, I'm going through this too, and I'm still trying to figure it out and in expectations like at running, right. I'm not going to be as fast as I used to be. Like the body takes a while to warm up. I call it like I got to lube up the joints, you know, (laughs) things oiled again and, and speed workout, you know, that will, totally trash my high hamstrings. So it's like adjusting expectations. You know, I, I think there's a season for everything. And my season right now is truly this passion for lifestyle medicine. You know, I'm, I'm working my butt off and I love it. And, you know, my goal is lifestyle medicine. I want to be doing this full time. I want to, I want to connect on a broader, you know, audience and, and just bring this. And so that's my focus now. And, um, I love, I will always love to run and mountain bike and ski and hike and all those things. But right now I have the opportunity to really impact lives. Well, beautiful. And, uh, I want to, I want to thank you for coming on board plant strong podcast. I want to thank you for practicing what you preach and, um, Man, you're right. The season is upon us yes. uh, for when it comes to lifestyle medicine. And I think that the, there's a lot of blue skies ahead. Absolutely. And, so, and thank you to your whole family for being so instrumental in this movement. I just, um, I'm in awe of what you guys have been able to accomplish. Yeah. Well, our, our pleasure. And uh, <laughs> it's going to take all of us working collectively to get where we want to be here. Uh, let's, let's do the sign off. Ready? Peace. Okay. Peace. Turn it around. Engine two. Two. The plant strong. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me, Rip. This has been great. I think one of the best lessons from this episode is to keep learning and expanding your knowledge about whatever it is that interests you. Never stop learning and growing. Dr. Sunderman sought a different approach to helping patients and now gets to live her dream each and every day. What interests you? How can you use your skills to help not only yourself, but others? And how can you employ some of these pillars of lifestyle medicine to increase your own health, well-being, and overall satisfaction? Most importantly, how can we at PlantStrong help you. That's why we're here. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, keep it plant strong. The plant strong podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers 
who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.